Welcome to the Data Dive Podcast, a podcast where we share the stories of real-world data-driven applications in various industries, hear how some of the most innovative companies are being built, and much more. I'm your host, Abraham Cherian, the founder of Data Dive, an international youth-driven organization focused on developing data literacy among the next generation. Today, I'm excited to have Vin Vashishta on the podcast. Vin is the founder and chief data scientist at V-Squared. He is also regarded as one of the most prominent voices in the data science space, ranking in the top 10 of LinkedIn's top voices for data science. Welcome onto the podcast, Vin. I'm glad to have you on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Talk to me a bit about your background and what led you into the data science field. You know, it's long, winding road. Anybody that follows me knows I did not start out even in technology. I always wanted to be in technology, but went to school for civil engineering at first. I had sales jobs. I mean, if you're trying to break into the field and you're not in technology in any way, shape, or form, I am the archetype for came out of the wrong field and somehow ended up in tech. So went to school, thought I was going to go work for Microsoft, graduate with a degree in computer science, machine learning, AI focus. And that was this trough in the 90s where everyone was really interested in it in the early 90s. And then no one was. No one wanted to hire me when I graduated. So I had to go through basic software development technology roles. And I've done every role in the machine learning and software development life cycle. So built and led teams, did everything I could to stay as close to data and technology as I could, worked my way up the ladder. Eventually in 2011, data science became sort of a thing. And so started my consulting practice in 2012, talked to a whole bunch of people into giving me a shot to do things with their data. And here I am. It's been a long, windy, crazy road. So if you're just anyone listening, if you are looking at, is it possible to get into data science from where I am? Yeah. Yeah. If I can do it, anybody can. Yeah. So do you feel like your previous work experiences helped prepare you to be a great data scientist? Or do you feel like those skills came more from your personal projects you did yourself? You know, my data science skills, I picked up, I was fortunate. I was in the field so early that all the mistakes that you normally make when you're just starting out as a data scientist, those were best practices back in like 2010, 2011, when we were doing BI and analytics and a little bit of descriptive modeling, I'd say kind of thrown in there. Back then, a lot of the worst practices were the only practices because we didn't have any of the infrastructure. The data was horrible. Nobody really knew how to ask a data science question. So my background, really came from doing learning. I mean, I kind of helped define the role in a lot of ways, define what data scientists do and how the job, you know, gets described from a corporate perspective and how do you make money off of data scientists. And so my definition of that evolved just through experience. But I can tell you all of the things that I learned as a software developer, a QA engineer, even in sales, all of that transferred really, really well into data science roles because data science is really this diverse role. And back in 2014, 2015, that was when you had to be a unicorn to, to really get a job and be effective because you had to do the data engineering side with none of the tools we have today. 
So you had to build everything yourself. You didn't have a software developer's background. It, you, you couldn't do it. And, you know, all of the ML ops, again, didn't have any of the tools. Had to build it all ourselves. And so this entire unicorn perception of data scientist is what I had to have to be successful. And now it's so much easier to be a data scientist. And it's a lot more fun because now it's more research focused. In pure data science roles, you're a whole lot more focused on actually doing the types of things that I've been wanting to do for the last seven, eight years and trying to get companies convinced this is the right way to do data science. And so I'd say when it comes to you know how my past experience plays in, it's evolved over time. And I've relied on different parts of my background as data science as a field has evolved. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the story behind you starting your own company, V Squared. 3AM. If that name, if the, the company name sounds like something you'd come up with at three in the morning, it was. I came up with it at three o'clock in the morning because, you know, it was April 2012. Yeah. April 2012. I landed my first client and they told me, yeah, you need a business. You need a boy. Well, what? Yeah. You need, you know, in order for us to hire you, it's like, wait, I just can't be a contractor. So it was literally, I had to get everything set up and thankfully Nevada is amazing when it comes to starting a business and how easy they make it to get everything that you need to get started. And that was the story. I landed, you know, I finally talked somebody into taking me on and letting me do data science with them. And I had to start the business, you know, knowing very little about business because the first business I started was back in the 90s. And that business, I made every mistake you could possibly make as far as business mistakes go. So this was my second go around. I wasn't really prepared to kick off a business at that point. But I learned quickly. I got good advice from some mentors locally here in Reno. They have a basic startup community back then that helped me figure out the nuances of business, of getting clients, of contracts, the legal side of it. It's all the stuff you don't know that really makes starting a business difficult. Getting clients for me was always easy. Getting people, you know, getting in the front door and talking to them about monetization and value and product that can be developed, what they can do with their data. All of that was always the easy side of the business for me. Getting products delivered, doing the work, delivering results. That's always been the easy part. But it's funny, the thing about business and anyone who's thinking about starting a business, it's other stuff. And that's the hard part about starting a business. And so even if you've been a consultant, there's this whole other side, get other people to help you. Because if you don't, it's a train wreck. And so, you know, really the story of my business was I found clients and, you know, the things that I talk about a lot, getting clients interested in data science, getting them to build out their teams, creating strategies, actually delivering stuff to production, making it work, creating reliable models instead of just sort of these prototype projects. Behind all that is the stuff no one hears about, which is the struggles to, you know, get contracts and <laughs> trying to get the header to look professional on an invoice. It just It's all these little things that you don't think of that make it difficult to start a business. So if you are starting a business, get some people to help you who have done it before because I kid you not, it's all those little things that make a big difference. So was there a specific instance or several moments that kind of led you to want to start your own company rather than you know work for someone else? At the point that I was in 2012, and I got laid off from a job that I'd been working at for five years, I ran a team here in Reno. 
uh, software development, cross-functional. We did DevOps before it was called DevOps. We were doing analytics. We were doing a lot. So when I say cross-functional, what I really mean is stretched way thin, doing more work than we should have been doing. And I got laid off from that job just out of the blue, suddenly. And I had to figure out, okay, am I going to go back into the corporate world or am I going to try to not really build a business? I thought I was just going to be a consultant and do the contract thing, but I'm kind of glad I ended up getting forced into starting a business because that was way better long-term for me. But the reason I ended up going the business route ultimately was because the companies didn't understand what a data scientist was at that point. Companies didn't understand that there was more that could be done. And so when I was sending a resume out, no one knew what I was doing. And so my resume didn't make sense to anyone. They kept offering me these jobs that I'd had, you know, three, four, five years ago that I, that's not what I do anymore. I tried to sort of pivot into a product manager role and companies didn't, they looked at me and they said, okay, you're not a product manager in the traditional sense. I don't get it. And so I couldn't make myself fit into any sort of corporate structure that was out there. And the only avenue for me to get into data science was as a consultant, going company to company and pitching the project and saying, look, I can do this. And I initially targeted marketing use cases and business cases where basic customer behavioral models, understanding how to do you know, what's now the entire marketing analytics and market models and data science around marketing and behavioral side, uh, decision support side of the field. And I couldn't get anybody convinced. Uh, my first client was a manufacturing client because they were way more open to using data to do optimization projects. The first two clients that I had, uh, one was a supply chain, one was logistics op optimization. And then eventually I got into doing what I wanted to do, which was customer behavioral. And it was, you know, it was a struggle to get people convinced, but it was way harder to try to go through the, I'm applying for a job when that wasn't the job I was really ready to do. And the company didn't understand how they could use what I knew how to do to get them any sort of value at the level of the people that I was talking to. I had to talk to senior executives in C-suite in order to get brought in for gigs. And it was it just, I couldn't do the normal corporate send your resume in route. It just didn't work. So in the earlier days of V-Square, data science was not nearly as popular as it is now. So how did you convince your clients about the value uh, data-driven solutions provided? It was an uphill battle. And I think I've kind of touched on it a little bit. I really just went in and said, look, here's what you don't know, here's what's in your data, and here's what you could figure out, and here's the value. And I made that, it's a long you know, slideshow, but it was really connecting the dots between you have a problem and you know it. You know that you have issues relating to customers, retaining customers, creating loyalty, understanding the value of customers, improving margin across your business, making sure sales, that you're getting as much money out of their wallets as you possibly could and not leaving anything on the table for your competitors to pick up, that you're being as effective as possible in bringing new customers in, figuring out where to spend your dollars. Because back then, you know, we were just sort of getting this idea of digital marketing. And by necessity, you had to use data to figure out what, what was working, what could work that you'd maybe never tried before. 
And that's where I was trying to get in the door with companies. But the sales pitch that actually worked was, hey, I can optimize your supply chain. I can help you discover suppliers more efficiently than you are right now because you're having issues. And you know, this is kind of funny. We're having exactly the same problems now in many cases, but you know, it's a logistics issue. And back then there were a lot of logistics challenges as well, not necessarily because the supply chain had problems, but because the analysis that had been done on most supply chains and on most logistic efforts really wasn't that advanced. And so there were some very, very simple optimizations that could be done to figure out where you could source anything from more efficiently, more cheaply, often just closer by instead of going across two countries, you know, getting it three hours away. I remember there were some stories where there were there were suppliers that were 20 minute drive away from a, a hub that essentially was sourcing two countries out in Europe. And these were some really simple optimizations that just using data could, you could save a ton of money. I mean, there, one project was cost us 3 million to do the project and it saved 30 million a year. So it was one of those things. It was just the ROI was so stupid that it kept getting approved. <laughs> what else can you do? What else can you do? And that's where I got a lot of traction is those first early prototypes were so successful because you got to realize back then there was nothing. I mean, even analytics and BI were kind of trash. And so there was almost no way for me not to return <laughs> these really ridiculous values. And that helped me sell, you know, getting another project done, getting another project done. And then that led to another client that would lead to other departments within the existing client saying, hey, why don't you come work with us? What can you do for us? And it snowballed from there. And about 2014, 2015, big data became a thing. And so all I had to say then was, oh, yeah, big data. And I was like, oh, now we know what you're talking about. Why didn't I know this word? Two words for three years. I've been trying. So I kid you not. Like, if it wasn't for big data, those two words, I would still be pitching clients and failing to explain to them without having three or four meetings what, what I was trying to do. It was pretty funny. Because as soon as 2014 came around and everybody knew what big data was, it was like my sales pitch was just big data. And here's what I'm going to do for you. And here's your expected returns. It was three slide presentation used to be something like 25. Yeah. So once 2014, 2015 rolled around, you must that must have been a big you know, sigh of relief for you. It really was. You know, I just there were a bunch of us outside of California who thought we had discovered a field. Not real, you know, and we were looking, we were reading all of Google's work and all of the early work from, you know, like Stanford and MIT and all those other universities that were really pushing forward through machine learning. And I had been reading research since you know, 2008, 2009. And so we were all reading that, but we didn't realize there was like an entire field in Silicon Valley that was happening. And it was data science and machine learning. Like we didn't know there was a name for it. So in 2012, 2013, there were a bunch of us that thought we were inventing a field. And then people are, you know, started calling it data science. We're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, that's a great name for it. Oops, I guess we're not as smart as we thought we were. So it, yeah, you know, all of the, the influencers showed up through the buzzwords out there. Gartner, you know, did really good job of helping us explain it in, I don't know, buzzword friendly terms. And everyone hates buzzwords, but I'll be honest, we could never get anyone to approve anything if the words data science and big data had not been coined. 
we would all still be struggling to get companies on board with this. So what are some of the challenges that you faced with B squared and how did you address them? It was early on, the biggest challenges were, like I said, those little nuanced things that you don't expect to prevent you from getting a customer to be able to pay you. That's really it. Getting somebody to say yes is in our field is not hard. Getting somebody to green light a project and bring you on board as long as you have a decent track record and you know what you're doing, it's not that hard to land clients. But the actual like blocking and tackling that has to be done to become a vendor, to get paid, to invoice properly, to follow all the procedures that are necessary in order to become uh, you know, a client to get onboarded. For small and mid-sized companies, very, very easy. For the big clients that I've landed, oh my goodness, it is so hard. Uh, they have liaisons now, thankfully. Back then they didn't. Now they have people that onboard you and help you through the process and walk you through everything that you need to do. Back then it was just, you know, can I find a phone number for somebody who will help me become part of the company and be able to take on this contract? It was crazy. And it was those little things that were the most difficult. Doing the projects were fairly simple and straightforward. We didn't have any of the tools. That was a huge challenge because every project had this three-month to six-month ramp-up where you had to put all the tools and infrastructure in place that now you can just buy. Turn Amazon on, we're done. None of that stuff was as mature back then. And so we had to build all of this piecemeal for every client. And it was always different. And, you know, we could buy some software. There was a ton of open source, but you typically had to freeze the version because there would be changes that would break some of the dependencies that you had built on. The instability, like in 2014, 2015, open source was really unstable. And every time someone had a great idea for a new feature, they broke a ton of functionality that like big companies relied on. So big companies didn't want to touch open source. That was another challenge was getting companies to buy back into, look, yes, you could build this all by yourself, but if you follow this open source project, maybe you even contribute to it. You can help stabilize it and you're going to save a ton of money. You know, don't reinvent the wheel because they're reinventing it better. And so it was, that was hugely challenging. The infrastructure side of it, the deployment, support, maintenance, all the front end and back end infrastructure just did not exist. And when we ran experiments, it was so painful. They were manual. I mean, kicking off these runs was terrible. We would have them running on different clusters. And, and you know, this was, this was before any of us really understood how to use Kubernetes correctly. Or, like, some of us didn't even know Kubernetes existed. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean to be that guy. I didn't know. I, I thought it was just Docker. And then somebody finally introduced me to Kubernetes. I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? Why didn't somebody tell me about this sooner? And that was another one of the big challenges is all of these, these really well-known frameworks that are well-known now and that have been well-known since like 2018, 2015, a lot of them existed and we had no idea what, you know, that they were out there. And so just all of those challenges were probably some of the hardest obstacles to overcome. It's interesting that building the model was always the easy part. It was everything else that was so painful and so hard. And it took so much longer. That was another one of the stumbling blocks. It just took forever. You know, now it's a three-week project now. It's like a three to six-month project back then. 
I feel like I'm talking like a grandpa, but you know, I'm talking about five years ago, not not like 1995. What do you feel is the most effective way to leverage machine learning techniques to acquire the best insights from data? You got to start with a question. Great data science starts with a business question. Have the business come up with just a basic, hey, this is what we're seeing. This is what's wrong. And work with that group, whoever it is. Sometimes it's a customer. Sometimes you're building a customer-facing product. And you have to understand what their challenge is. What's the problem that they're having? Or what's the functionality that they're going to consume and going to enjoy? Maybe that they've never seen before. They've never really understood it could be done and automated. So it starts with a question. So you get the problem space, you explore the problem space thoroughly, and you come up with a question that the data is going to answer, the model's going to answer. And that question is going to help you understand not only what the model should do, but it gives you performance metrics, it gives you KPIs so that you can measure whether or not this model actually does anything the business needs it to. And so through that question, you basically connect your business metrics to your model metrics. So no matter what you do on the really complex data science side, you can talk to senior leaders, you can talk to customers, you can talk to another business unit and say, look, I've done this and here's the impact on you. Do you care? Is this good? Do you need more? Is this interesting to you? Sometimes, you know, a 10% increase in margin is amazing. But for other companies, they're like, come on, man, it, you, we're expecting more from you. And that's that's the nice thing about connecting up the business metrics to the model metrics is every time I make an improvement, when I talk about model accuracy or performance or even capability, you talk about the problem space, being able to address and serve reliable inference that spans a larger component, a larger piece of the problem space, then I'm able to relate that without talking in technical terms to business users and say, look, this is the impact of what I've just figured out. And that makes it make so much more sense to them. And they don't have to care about the technology because they hate the technology side of it. They don't want to know. As much as everyone says, yeah, teach me about machine, nobody wants to know. They, they don't want to know about it. They want to know how it's going to impact them and what they have to do in order to achieve this ridiculous thing that they've been promised. And so that's, for me, I think that's the most important part of leveraging data is creating that connection to business needs and helping everyone that's ever going to touch this thing understand wh why do you care? Why does this do something good for you and how good, like define good, how good is this going to be for you so that there's some expectations? And if the model delivers as it's supposed to, they know it. They can actually say, yes, the model did what it was supposed to do instead of, well, it's doing something. And that's a lot of the disconnect is the business doesn't understand how to measure success. That wraps up part one of the Data Dive podcast episode with Vin Vashishta. Stay tuned for part two, where Vin and I discuss some of the most valuable skills data scientists can develop how data science applications could simplify our everyday lives, and how the data science and machine learning field will continue to evolve in the future. If you like this podcast, be sure to follow us and rate us wherever you get your podcasts, and stay tuned for more Data Dive podcast episodes like this one.